Welcome to Mindful Social, the show that intersects mindfulness and emotional intelligence with the hectic online world we live in today. This week on Mindful Social, I have Christine Comiford. For over 30 years, she's been a leadership and culture coach, and she's helped organizations navigate growth and change. She specializes in applied neuroscience, which helps her clients achieve tremendous results in record time. She's an entrepreneur who's built and sold five companies with an average ROI of 700%. She was a software engineer in the early days of Microsoft and Apple. Christine is a human behavior expert, a leadership columnist for Forbes, and the New York Times bestselling author of Power Your Tribe, Smart Tribes and Rules for Renegades. She's been named one of the top 50 human behavior experts to follow and one of the global employee engagement influencers. And I have to tell you, this book is an absolute must read. You'll get a lot out of this book and I hope you'll get a lot out of today's show. Welcome to the show, Christine. You have really done a wonderful job of putting resources at the end of every pair, every chapter and Twitter takeaways, which made me giggle a little because I love Twitter and nobody else does. So I was happy to see that you did too. Um, but talk to us a little bit about where this book comes from and what your motivation is. What do you want people to get from this book? Thank you, and thanks, Jenna, for the opportunity to be here today. Mm -hmm. Awesome to be with you. Um, I really wanted to distill what tools help us become emotionally resilient and emotionally intelligent, because I was getting kind of grumpy with all this emotional intelligence stuff, because I was reading all the books, but nobody was saying, here's exactly how to do it. It's really easy to say, oh, just change your behavior. But how specifically do you change your behavior? So our tools like outcome frame, reframing, maneuvers of consciousness, VAK anchoring, these are all very specific tools with step-by-step -step processes so you can actually change your behavior. So a big part of Power Your Tribe, which is really about building resilience, um, for individuals and teams was let's have really practical tools and then let's map, here's your challenge, here's the tool to use. So when you're in the trenches and you're in critter state and you're in fight, flight, freeze, limbic system hijack, et cetera, you can just say, oh, let me look at my table and I'll know what to do and I can get out of it. That's wonderful. And, and you brought up a few things that I think we probably are gonna wanna define for people. And one of my favorite ones is critter state. Can you explain? <laughs> you know, about the types of brains that we have and yeah. what a critter state is? Yes, thank you. So we have essentially six brains, but let's just talk about the three that are involved in leadership. And that's reptilian, mammalian, and then your neocortex where your prefrontal cortex is. So the reptilian brain really governs uh, uh, temperature regulation, life support systems, breathing, balance, temperature regulation. It's a stimulus response machine coded for physical safety. If it could speak, it would say dead or not. It doesn't think of quality of life. It's not saying alive or not. It's saying dead or not. Very primal part of you. Next is the mammalian brain. The mammalian brain is about also about stimulus response machine coded for emotional safety. This is where we have the seat of um, joy, peace, love, anger, frustration, etc. This is also where we have the hippocampus, which is very important in leadership because this is where we have learning, short-term memory, and learning. So think back on your life. 
on the most important memories, if they don't have a lot of emotion attached to them, positive or negative, they're probably not in your brain anymore. You just flushed that buffer. What I ate for breakfast three weeks ago, no idea. Now, if like your kids cooked it and it was super cute, you would totally remember it, okay? Now, if the mammalian brain could speak, it would say friend or foe, a little bit more evolved than dead or not. What's also important about the mammalian reptilian is that the limbic system, uh, the fight, flight, freeze response is, it's really kind of overlapping both of those. So I, I wanna be clear on that. Um, next is the neocortex, the best part about being human, the prefrontal cortex right behind the forehead. This is where we have decision-making, visioning. I'm here, but I wanna be there. What are the steps to get me there? Um, social skills, language skills, tool making, uh, discrimination, etc. And if the prefrontal cortex could speak, it would say, what can I create? A lot more interesting. Okay, mm -hmm. then dead or not, or friend or foe. Here's what happens though. Meanwhile, back on Earth, right? Changing priorities, information overload, um, politics, you know, challenges and relationships. We go into what we like to playfully call critter state because we're like a little critter, a little animal, safe or not, dead or not, fight, fight, freeze. And the best part of our brain is unavailable, it's offline. We can't access it because we are just responding to pure raw threat. So we have a hard time making decisions. Um, we've all had this experience where we're trying to solve a problem and we just can't solve the problem. And it's a pretty basic problem, but it's because we don't have access to our prefrontal cortex. So we use the tools we're gonna talk about today to help us get into what we call our smart state. Our smart state is when we have the three parts of the brain all working peacefully together. We have connection, we have collaboration, we have safety, belonging, mattering, we have innovation, we have high performance versus constant threat perception and fight, flight, freeze, which is critter state. And we can get totally caught in critter state, especially, you know, when we're, when we're in a conflict situation or maybe we're in a high impact environment we can get so locked into critter state that it's almost impossible for us to make any decisions. Is that correct? Yes. So you know what? Thank you for bringing that up, Janet, because I want to just provide one or two super quick tools because when we get into that, oh my gosh, if we can first have the awareness, whoa, I'm totally in critter state, right? Then here are a couple of ways to get out of it quick like a bunny. First of all, when you're in critter state, your system is flooded with norepinephrine. That is adrenaline in your brain. We don't have an enzyme to break it down, which is why we're here, because our cave people, relatives, our ancestors could run like hell <laughs> to survive. So it's actually a good thing. But cardio does gradually break it down. So it takes about two hours maybe to flush your system, but why suffer for two hours? So getting some sort of vigorous cardio is great. If somebody in your office is in critter state, have a walking meeting. Hey, Joe. Let's have a walking meeting. Walk vigorously. We want Joe panting, okay? It's gonna help him come off the ledge. If you yourself are in critter state, you just want some peace, here's a great thing to do. Inhale through your nose for seven. Count of seven, like one, two, don't rush it, okay? Count through seven as you inhale through your nose. Hold for seven. When we hold our breath, we separate the life force from the oxygen. Really important to help us manage our emotional state. Exhale through your mouth for seven, okay? So seven in, seven hold, seven exhale, in through the nose, hold, out through the mouth. Parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system reset. If we do seven rounds of seven, seven, seven breathing, we will start to feel the critter state leaving. 
because there is a physiological impact of the critter state. Right, right. And also that focus engages a different part of our brain. So it moves away from the amygdala and, and allows us to actually engage something else and, and maybe get a little bit of that neuroephrine from out of our brains. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And more yummy oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, etc. And going to Facebook for that oxytocin is not going to help. No, (laughs) it's just like excessive video games, right? Mm. FOMO, excessive checking social, excessive checking email. Yeah, you get little hits of dopamine, but it's not actually long-term effective. Mm. Yeah. You have a lot of information in the book. It's really rich. And one of the things that you talk about is emotional agility. What does that mean to you and what's it going to mean to us? Thank you. Well, we start with emotional resilience. We graduate to emotional agility. So let me start with that first. So in emotional resilience, what we're first starting to do is going, wow, here I am in critter state, or here I am resisting something, or here I am feeling disconnected from others. So first in resilience, we're, we're getting aware of what our situation is, and then we're grabbing power your tribe and we're using the tools. So there's a conscious oh boy, I need some help right now. The agility comes when we magically, we've done so much resilience that now it's second nature, right? It's like the first few times you ride a bike, maybe, you know, winter's over, you're like, whoa, this feels kind of weird. I haven't done this since whatever, last, last spring, last summer. Then you just jump on it and off you go. So we have to go through the resilience phase. And what's great is like, unlike riding your bike and not riding it in the winter, we use our emotional resilience tools all the time. So after a period of time, our clients find that they are absolutely agile and that they know what tool to pick. They're naturally using these different tools. So that's when they've graduated, if you will, to agility. So that brings a really important important point to this and something that I use with my clients as well. And that's that you have to build the muscle before you can use it. Yeah, you can't just drive by the gym and say, why am I not getting fit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you can't just read the book. You have to use the tools. Oh, yeah. wait. I thought I could just read the book and it would be all <laughs> nice. Man. All right. So one of the topics, and I, I probably should have come from this in the beginning, is talking about resistance. And you use a really great metaphor of the Chinese finger trap and how that works. And I thought it illustrated it really well. Can you kind of give us a little visual demo on that? Yes. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm fascinated by words and the power of language and where words come from. Um, so resistance comes from resistere, Latin to Middle English, and it means to stand against. So think about when you're resisting something, how much attention it takes, how much mind space it takes, right. how much you're complaining to people about it, how much you know, air space it takes up. It takes up a lot of energy to resist. So a Chinese finger trap is interesting. It's like a long skinny basket. You stick your fingers in it, but then when you try to pull them out, they get, they're stuck. And you can pull and pull and pull and pull, but your fingers are not gonna get out. You have to kind of lean into it and push your fingers together before you can actually release yourself from the Chinese finger trap. So what's interesting is that when I I was just talking to a bunch of executives the other day, yesterday, and they were saying, well, you know, well, 
isn't the opposite of resistance um, acceptance? And I said, you know, no, actually it's not. Because resistance is, is standing against, is, is pressuring, okay? Putting a lot of energy against. We find the opposite of resistance actually is consent. Uh, Latin to uh, Middle English, consentere, to be present with. Mm -hmm. We're not saying it's okay. There's a lot of things that we resist, right? You know, murder, et cetera, you know, school shootings. That stuff is not okay. Right. However, it's happening. So consenting is, is getting out of denial or out of resistance and just saying, this is actually happening. All right. So what would I like? We have to consent in order to shift and create what we call a desired state if the present state is uncomfortable. Resistance stabilizes the present state. It ensures that the present state and the suffering therein continues. This is why we wanna just go, wow, whew, this is happening, huh. Now what would I like? And then we use the outcome frame to create that new desired state. Mm-hmm. And you use the term anchor the outcome you want. What does that mean? Yes, thank you. Since we are multi-sensory beings, right? Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, gustatory, or in average bear terms, we see things, we hear things, we feel things, we uh, taste things, uh, we, uh, we smell things. Since that's how we process information, sensory information comes into our brain. We then code it as good or bad, positive or negative, and then we decide some, we make some meaning around it. We see our leader scowling. Okay, that's something we see. That's visual input, mm -hmm. right? We might then notice that our shoulders are crunching up and we have, uh, and our tummy feels tight. And then by the time that, that data nanoseconds later gets to the prefrontal cortex, we might be saying, oh my gosh, he's mad at me. Oh my gosh, she's disappointed again. And that's just the big story we just made up. Right. So what we find is since human beings are meaning-making machines, we are constantly making meaning. What we want to do is make sure that when we figure out the outcome that we want, we actually create a visual auditory kinesthetic. You need at least three. When you have three, sense, when you have three of your sensory systems, three of your senses, uh, and you use those for an anchor, you can then recall that state. For, so for example, say that we don't want to get triggered. We don't want to go into critter state when we see our boss scowling, and maybe our boss scowls a lot. Mm. And maybe we find out later that our boss just has chronic stomach pain. That's what the scowling was about. It was never about us anyway, okay? What a waste of energy. Tremendous waste of energy because when we make those stories up, right, it also impacts our belief system, our behaviors, our identity, our capabilities, big fat mess. Better to say, um, what would I like? Well, I want to be peaceful inside regardless of what's happening outside. That's a pretty great outcome because there's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens outside. So as we set, as we go through the outcome frame, which maybe we'll talk about in a sec, as we create that desired state, we see here, feel ourselves in that future where we're able to be peaceful inside regardless of what's happening outside. Remember what I just said, see, hear, and feel ourselves having that experience in a future version of us. 
we then anchor. Maybe you take your right thumb, press it in the center of your left palm. We have to actually set a physical anchor. Then we increase the positive feelings. We see even more great stuff. We hear even more great stuff in that desired state. We let go of our anchor, we shake our body out, and we test it. When we press that, when we, when we press our anchor, do we actually light up? Mm. So I would. I first learned anchoring, oh my gosh, during uh, when I was 35 years old, and I'm, it's, it was a long time ago because I'm 57 now. Um, when I was 35 years old and um, from uh, uh, Tony Robbins, and it felt really weird and really, really manipulative, and I didn't like it. But it's because I didn't, it didn't work either for me, because I didn't step into a future version of me deeply to load up enough visual auditory kinesthetic structures so that my brain was saying, since I didn't load up enough, it was saying, well, this is a fantasy, this is dumb, this isn't true. But when you go deeply enough into it, your brain goes, ah, I'm test driving, I'm test driving this possible future that I may choose to have or not. Mm-hmm. So it's more impactful to the brain that we set the anchor wherever you want, just somewhere subtle where you can fire off that anchor whenever you want to without people saying, why are you tugging on your ear? You know, <laughs> you don't want to set a weird anchor that people would notice, right? A lot of our clients set confidence anchors or power anchors or um, engagement anchors so they, they can walk into a room and they can be so warm that everybody just wants to come towards them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's a great way to use our physical body to... Uh, trigger, if you will, to fire off, to create, to recall is a better word, an emotional state. Mm. And you, you also talk a lot about your wheel of emotion and how that affects a group, a room, an individual, everybody. everybody. Yes. Um, and everybody listening, we're going to have the emotion wheel. We'll, we'll, we'll show you where to get the emotion wheel and the VAK anchoring so that you guys can use these tools yourself. Great. Um, the emotion wheel is really important. You know, we did our best to name every emotion we could think of, but since Travis Bradbury's emotional intelligence research uh, highlighted just recently that only 36% of people actually know how they're feeling, and we can't become emotionally resilient or even emotionally intelligent if we don't know how we're feeling. So the emotion wheel is a cool way just to look at this picture and go, where am I right now? How do I feel right now? And the center has three has three top and three bottom, mad, sad, scared, peaceful, powerful, joyful. And then they have kind of branches going off. You just pick wherever you are. So overwhelm, which is really common. I hear it all the time. Overwhelmed is a subset of anxious, which is a subset of scared. So what matters is find out where you are on the wheel. And then, you know, the outer is less intense. The, the closer you go to the pure, raw emotion, that's kind of a deeper critter state, if you will. Just look at where you are, consent to it. <sighs> okay, this is what it feels like to be overwhelmed. Here I am, overwhelmed. All right, I've got it. I'm not going to deny it. This is overwhelm. All right, and now what would I like? Mm-hmm. And it was really, so few people actually know what they're feeling most of the time. It's, 
it's a tiny, what, do you, what is it, 30 36%. 36%. And I have to say that there's lots of times I go through my day where I'm like, okay, what was that? And <laughs> that process of stopping and, and figuring it out, you know, especially when you're triggered, mm. you know, being able to go, oh, that really triggered me. Okay, what's, what's going on now? That's the beginning of awareness. Thank and you. We have to have that in order to build up this kind of build up, work up to emotional agility. Thank you for saying that because um, uh, we're also going to show you guys a picture on reframing. And all of these pictures are at, these infographics are at smarttribesinstitute.com slash infographics smart tribes institute.com slash infographics and janice of course going to have a link as well Absolutely. but here's the thing um what you just said was really important so we take a sec we stop we say where we are this is a great time to talk about reframing so here's how i let's go back to overwhelm right since i hear it all the time um okay i'm overwhelmed huh Okay, before you even want to go, if you don't have time to do an outcome frame, which we should talk about in, this, in a few minutes, we can at least say, okay, what story am I telling myself right now? How does that story feel? Well, I'm telling myself that um, my boss doesn't appreciate me and she keeps just piling more work on my plate. How does that make me feel? Lousy, overwhelmed, unappreciated, disrespected, blah, 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 blah. Okay, huh. Uh, is that working for me? No, no, it's actually not. What story would I like to tell myself? Wow, isn't it awesome that my boss trusts me so much, you know, that she, he, they keeps piling stuff on my plate. How cool for me to have an opportunity to improve my own communication skills, to talk about my workload, to look at what's high value added, what's low value added, to look at priorities and to communicate to my leader about which projects actually help me add most strategic value to the firm, because that's what the leader cares about. Right. So I took this, oh, I'm disrespected, ow, ow, ow story and turned it to, wow, it is so cool that I am so trusted and valued that my leader knows they can dump stuff on me and it's gonna happen. Now, what can I take responsibility for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know that energy of you sitting there behind your desk when you see your boss, you're getting all anxious. That energy is transformed throughout the room, not just to you and your boss. Your boss may be in a perfectly good mood, but they walk by and they feel that energy, then that's going to come back towards you. So figuring out how to really adjust where you are and what you're putting out starts with you. Your problem with your boss starts with you. And it's I, yeah. there. I think the number one thing that every human being on the planet, seriously, every human being on the planet would benefit from learning is to take 100% responsibility for their experience. Mm. And, um, you know, there really are no victims. Um, and it's just interesting to notice when we go into victim or rescuer or persecutor. And again, what story are we telling ourselves? 
Right. And is that how we want to feel? And I want to touch for a second on what you said because it was super interesting. Um, energy, excuse me, emotions do have energy. And if you look at Dr. David Hawkins' work, you look at the work of um, Institute of Noetic Sciences, you look at HeartMath and Roland McCready's work and how they've measured the magnetic field that comes off of the human body. And when a person is deeply in their intellect, the magnetic field that comes off of our body is only about three inches. Whoa. When we are in our heart and feeling compassion and connection to others, et cetera, it's about three feet. When wow. we are, wow is right. When we are projecting a lot of, you've all had this experience, everybody. You've walked past a stranger at the airport or whatever, and they've been like raging or something. You're like, ouch, that feels bad. Yeah. So we actually have an energetic field around us and power versus force is, uh, is the book I think that goes into most detail. Um, Hawkins book, the late great Dr. David Hawkins, and he measured the log level and the effect on cells. What? Yes. Define log level for us before you go on. Thank you. This was his term for magnetic field. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he set up a, uh, a certain, a calibration for magnetic field and the stronger the magnetic field uh was the higher log level okay mm -hmm. so for example um shame which is really like 50 or so log level and then courage is 200 courage and confidence and stuff and below 200 we actually saw cell death is that crazy or what oh my god Oh, my God is right. Huh. So energy, the energy of emotions actually can cause cell death. And I always forget the name of this amazing um, uh, Japanese doctor who is no longer with us, who did all the work with water structures. You know, mm -hmm. and when people would project energy at water, at, at water, the crystalline structures would either look angry or they'd look really peaceful. I always, Matsui, I always forget his name. But, oh um, but yeah, I just want us to think about that. And to take responsibility for our emotional state mm -hmm. because it does affect others. And it I affects really, others and it, yeah. it affects our the perception of ourselves, but yes. it also affects our experience going forward. Because if yeah. you're walking around in that big, you know, cloud of, of energy, that's picked up by others and they reflect it. So it becomes a nasty, ugly storm. And this is why it's so important to become more mindful, right? Because if you walk past, past somebody, like I just got this email a couple days ago from this woman. It was like this raging email. And I felt it. And I was like, mm, no, I'm going to Aikido that. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to let that one flow by. You don't have to take it on. And I want to stress this to people because I really noticed this. People are going to do whatever they do, right? We can't control that, okay? Right. As leaders in our organizations where we have some influence, we can create conditions for people to choose hopefully the best feeling behaviors. However, when we're out in the world with strangers, et cetera, when people are triggered as well, you know, they're not totally, you know, present. When they're triggered, they might throw, you know, negative emotions at us or they might just radiate negative emotions at us. And here's what's important. Please check in. The only reason we take on negativity and pain from others is because we are judging them. We're judging them. We are uh, somehow fearful. Oh my gosh, that's somebody who has, that's my boss. They have control over my livelihood, okay? Or we are attached to a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. um, he, he needs to be, I need, I need this to happen. 
this person needs to be that way. And when we have any sort of attachment, judgment, or fear, we will take on the energy from the other person. So just work on noticing that because if we have those things also, we're handing our power away and that's not helping yeah. anybody. And noticing that we have the ability to not absorb that to me is, is really crucial that we can just notice, okay, he's going off right now, but it's not really about me. And it hardly ever is. It's almost always yeah. something that they've got going that has nothing to do with you. Even if they're yelling at you about something you did, yep. doesn't necessarily mean that it has anything to do with you. Yep. Yep. Most people are walking around projecting their internal experience outward. Yes. Yes. And as we learn how to navigate energy and understand energy, we work a lot on, um, we bring a lot of ancient wisdom. We do this retreat. It's called Beyond Your Brain. And you can learn more about it at smarttribesinstitute.com slash B-Y-B, like beyond your brain, one, the number one. Uh, smarttribesinstitute.com slash B-Y-B and the number one. Um, as we start to notice how palpable energy is and we start to learn how to move energy out of our field and we start to learn how to direct energy to positive outcomes um, and clear the energy that we picked up from our body, we start to have a lot more respect for it as mm -hmm. well because energy is not good or bad. Money is actually a type of energy. You know, waves, right? There's a lot of energy in the ocean and waves, and there's a tremendous amount of energy in the natural world, and we learn how to collaborate with that, and that helps us, you know, in our leadership as well. You know, when we return, this is probably going to be my fourth book, when we return <laughs> to the earth, like our elders, our ancestors did, and we're really connected to the earth and the elements and the wisdom that they bring to us, we then have much more balance. And I've been noticing this a lot in my yoga class. You know, in yoga class, there's in yoga, there's a concept called drishti. And the drishti is the thing that you're focusing on. So when you're doing a balancing pose and you're like, whoa, whoa, if you're focusing on whatever, five feet ahead of you on a spot on the floor or something or a spot on the wall, if you intensely focus, it is much easier to keep your balance. Mm -hmm. So let's take that to leadership. When we are focused on something, whatever, our goals, what, what the, the, the purpose of the business, whatever. If we're focused on something and we keep that focus, we can keep our sense of balance. And mm -hmm. I find so many people lose their sense of balance because they aren't focusing on something that doesn't move. Things that don't move are things like your purpose, what you hold sacred. So back to yoga class for a sec, you know, you're going to focus on a spot on the floor that is just a spot on the floor. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. We focus on something that doesn't move. We keep our balance. That's where life purpose really comes into play. Yep. And how your life purpose maps to supports, is supported by the business's purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why are you working there? Right. Yeah. yeah. It will yeah. not be fulfilling. Wow, I could go on for a really long time, but I want to get one more thing before okay. we go. Uno mas. Talk to me about outcome frames. Thank you for jotting that down. Um, outcome frame. So the outcome frame is a great way to get unstuck. It's a great way to align others. You can do it in a group as well. And it's a great way when you're just kind of like going, well, I'm not feeling great here. I'm not feeling fulfilled or whatever. 
so what would I like? Because a lot of people, just like a lot of people don't know their emotional experience, a lot of people don't know what they really yeah. would like. Yeah. So the outcome frame, I'll just, I'll do a short one, okay? Because you can do a super wicked long one, but let's just do a short one. It's a series of questions. And the first question is, what would you like? Now, sometimes people will say, if they're, especially if they're really triggered, well, here's all the stuff I would not like. You go, okay. So list all the stuff you would not like. Pick whatever's most painful. What's the positive counterpart? Well, I would not like so much stress. Okay. So what's the opposite of that? I want more peace. Great. That's a great mm -hmm. outcome. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what would you like? <sighs> more peace at work. Terrific. Now, question number one, what would you like? It's got to be something you can create and maintain. So it's not for Brad Pitt to give me a jillion dollars. Okay. <laughs> no. Something you can create and maintain. Okay. So what would you like? You know, uh, inner peace or peaceful inside regards, regardless of what's happening outside. Good. What will having that do for you? This is where you're, how you're going to feel. Well, I'd feel peaceful. I'd feel powerful. Um, I'd be nicer to other people. I'd sleep better at night. So all the good feelings and all the benefits is question number two. Okay. What will having that do for you? Question number three. How will you know when you have it? Okay. Well, I gave you an example a second ago, which is sleep better at night. How will you know when you have that peace? Well, when Charlie yells at me and I don't get affected, when I spend the majority of my time in smart state, um, when I um, disengage with this particular group that I work with that I don't need to work with and is super draining. So this is the proof. How will I know when I have it? So I have a lot of proof here. My favorite question, question number four. What of value might you risk or lose? What side effects may occur to get the outcome you want? Okay, well, I want, you know, inner peace. And, uh, ooh, I'm going to have to stop being a victim. <sighs> I'm going to have to stop rescuing people. I'm going to have to let go of some sense of control. I'm going to have to stop uh, micromanaging. Um, what of value, What? because obviously you value it because you've been doing it, might you risk or lose uh, what side effects may occur? Well, um, I might be less involved in the minutia. People might screw up, right? So that ego question, question number four, helps us understand why we don't have the outcome yet. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't have it, okay? Question number five, what are your next steps? Map out specific next steps. So when we say, you know, what would you like? What will having that do for you? How will you know when you have it? What a value might you risk or lose? What are your next steps? Then we can actually start to craft that desired state. We can start to step in to that desired state. And then we can crank up the good feelings around that desired state. We can do the anchoring and then we can test it. And here's the thing. If you guys do anchoring and you don't feel it, that's okay. Anchoring for some people is really easy. For others, it's harder. Just try again and crank the emotional intensity up. That's what makes a good anchor. Okay. And make it unique. Like if, you, if you're always holding your wrist, don't set an anchor there, okay? You need to do something unique. You know, mm -hmm. it would be unusual to take your pointer finger and stick it in your elbow crease. Make that your anchor. You know, that's subtle. You could do that in a meeting. No one would notice. But it's got to be a unique anchor, okay? Mm -hmm. What we've been doing with some of our clients is um, setting um, the anchor actually on their mobile phone. How weird is that? A piece Not weird at all, actually. That, that 
we're pragmatists, sister. You know, we got to be practical in these crazy times. <laughs> those, those things have become such a big part of our lives that they're always with us and they always mean something. So why not make them mean something good? Yeah. Instead so, of a sense of urgency and panic. Exactly. <laughs> so you're, you can set an anchor on your phone because it is, it's squeezing, you know, and you do have to have some intensity in your fingers, squeezing it and make it whatever, a peace anchor or a wow, I'm loved and cherished anchor, mm. you know? whatever, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, you know, I, I highly recommend that you guys get the book and look at the downloads that we're going to be sending you. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the website where people can find the book, how they can find you. Great. Okay. So if you guys go to smarttribesinstitute.com, I know Janet's favorite section is the resources section. <laughs> the resources section is where you're going to find the infographics that I mentioned, um, where you're going to find some videos, uh, where you're going to learn about our books. There are a couple of very cool assessments there. So in case you're thinking, well, I don't know, how emotionally resilient am I? Go ahead and take an assessment there. It takes like, I don't know, five to 10 minutes max. I think there's like 13, 15 questions and you'll just take it right then and there and you'll automatically get the results emailed to you. And that frankly will then tell you what chapters to focus on most when you read Power Your Tribe. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Because very there's solo resilience, the stuff that you do to be resilient. Then there's actually um, helping others be resilient. And if you're in leadership, you really want to understand the difference. And then you can just hop to the section and power your tribe that's going to help you with your lowest scores and grow. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Smarttribesinstitute.com and just go to the resources page um, and then go to slash BYB, Beyond Your Brain, BYB1, if you want to look at our uh, ancient wisdom uh, retreat in nature uh, that, that's this September. Oh, in September. Great. Wonderful. Cool. Well, thank you so much for this time. And I know people are going to love the book, and I did. And uh, gosh, thanks a lot. Thank you, Jenna, for the opportunity. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Mindful Social. As always, if there's something that you loved about the show or didn't like about the show, please let me know in the comments. Send me an email at Janet at JanetFouts.com or reach out to me on Twitter at jfouts. And if you know someone who'd be a great guest on the show, I'd love to hear about it. Please do share the show with your friends if you enjoyed it. The more, the merrier. Thank you.